0: scripture reading this morning will be Luke two forty one through 47 the boy Jesus at the temple every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover when he was 12 years old they went up to the festival according to the custom after the festival was over while his parents were returning home the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem but they were unaware of, of it thinking he was in their company they traveled on for a day they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple court sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. Join me in reciting with uh, thousands of years of Christians and those who called on God as their, as their God uh, long before Jesus came. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and your neighbor as yourself. And the whole church said, Isn't it amazing the faithfulness of God? Um, sorry, Lindley, I'm going to go on a little detour here just for a second. We are called to love the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, but in reality this is just so small compared to the love and provision and faithfulness that God gives to us, amen? We, we could say something like, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone, and He has loved us with Everything that he is, including the gift of his son and leaving his spirit to be with us until he comes again. Amen and amen. I want to just give you a quick testimony. Mike uh, pricked my heart. I'd thought about doing this and then didn't. But um, if you're not aware, um, Drew, my son Drew, younger son, uh, was born on September the 11th. He was born in 1992. And in 2001, I remember getting up that morning and getting him ready. We sang happy birthday to him. He got extra something in his lunch and all those things and then sent him off to school. And before I got to work, the the first plane had hit the first tower. And and I went back to the school because I wanted to check on him. Because a day that was supposed to be such a... Great day. And Drew, boy, make no mistakes. Drew was a guy who loved to celebrate things and is a guy that loves to celebrate things. And his friends loved celebrating him, his friends at school. And that changed things. And what I reminded him that day, and and I think he never let his birthday be overwhelmed with sorrow because what God had provided long before Drew was born, and long before September the 11th, 2001, God had provided a friend for him. The preacher at the church where I was working, who was a good friend of ours and a good friend of Drew's, Joe You, many of you have met him, you've heard me refer to him before, was born on December the 7th. And so his birthday was, uh, became the commemoration of, and for that generation, biggest thing that ever went on of of the bombing of Pearl Harbor the disaster of that and so I think in a very powerful way God provided for Drew in this unique way that he knew somebody that didn't let what the what his date of his birth became focused on because he knew somebody who hadn't let that uh, be the definition of who they were because their birthday fell on that. And and that not that just one tiny, tiny, small tale of God's provision for us in so many ways, in so many times in our life? And the whole church said, amen and amen. I love that story. Aren't you thankful? Um, Matthew records some birth stories, but Luke comes in with just so much more rit- richness in the birth stories and also... He tells us this story when Jesus is 12 years old. We have nothing from, you know, Jesus being two or three and they come back from Egypt and then we have nothing until John the Baptist appears on the scene and Jesus goes to meet him at the river, except that Luke records this one story, such an incredibly beautiful story, and and it is so powerful because it connects us with Jesus in a really wonderful way. Um, i 've been in youth ministry in my life, and and by the way, the verse that we didn 't read that I bet most of you know, and Jesus grew right in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man that 's the theme verse for youth ministry for me that is to say, our children will grow, and we need to be about helping them grow and by the way not just helping them grow as people who know God's Word better and better, but we really need to be engaged as a church. We want to partner with parents in helping raise our children in every way, right? In wisdom, stature, and in relationship. All of Jesus, and kind of in the same way that love the Lord your God with all of you, we want to help our children in every single way. But this also points to some really interesting things. Parents... Have you ever read this first and realized that Jesus raising Jesus may not have been a stress-free uh, environment for you as a parent? Uh, I don't know. Have any of you lost them for three days? You realize that when we stack it up, gone for a day and two days before they found him. Any of you lost your children for three days? Now, you might have not had them in your presence, but Jesus... Headed off in the other direction and didn't tell anybody. By the way, I got in trouble for a lot of things. Very few of them I got in trouble more for the idea of doing something and not telling my parents. Some parents say, amen. That's exactly right. Kids, this story needs to relate to you. Because it shows Jesus stepping out independently now and again. This is what I think I'm supposed to be about in doing that. By the way... Just the way that you get in trouble for doing that with your parents, Jesus got in trouble with his parents. And, by the way, says that Jesus was very obedient to his parents. So he's not breaking God's law in any of this. But it's a powerful, wonderful story. We're always drawn to those last words. That they were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Because we see Jesus as a person who has all the answers. Amen? And so it is that that Luke affirms this this, idea that the, the people that he was interacting with are amazed by his understanding as his answers. But quickly look at the descriptive words before we get to that summation. You see, Jesus is doing what with the leaders? He is listening to them and asking them questions. Now that doesn't sound like giving answers, does it? But what you need to know is that Luke is describing the way that traditional teaching went on, is it's a dialogue. It seldom, if ever, is just about a person standing up and delivering a lecture. By the way, throw the darts all you want to. But instead it was this, this dialogue. and it was by the nature of his questions that they recognized his understanding. And it was by the nature of his listening that they, they realized he has answers within him. So it's a very different kind of scenario. And, and again, sometimes we, we sort of lose that. And too often, parents, sometimes we, we think, kids, you just need to sit and listen to me. And in reality, what we want is our children asking us questions. By the way, even the hard ones. Questions that you don't have answers to are okay. And you need to be sure that those questions are okay. And the answer, I don't know, is okay. But we can go find out or we will continue. I want you to keep asking that question until we have a better answer. All of this points us in a direction that is consistent with the way Jesus loved. But finally, I want you to look at the opening words. Jesus isn't sitting in front of a big crowd. He is sitting with the teachers. He recognizes that if he's going to know more about who God is, and as he grows, and uh, you could make the uh, statement that Jesus is already kind of establishing himself as that special prophet and messenger from God, but in reality, the scene doesn't paint it that way. He's come to the learned. He's coming to the the cream of the crop. If you're there in the temple area, if you're part of this group, you are as good a teacher as there is. And Jesus is interacting with them. He is not off in a wilderness learning by himself. He is not sitting at home with a lamp and a book and just saying, I'm going to learn everything I need to know in this place in isolation, but instead... He is choosing to step into what I believe God has always invited his people to do. And that is to learn about God, particularly to learn about God in relationship with others. And isn't it as interesting that it is those teachers, I believe, who put that label on him. As he asked questions and as he listened to them, they recognized here is someone with answers and, understanding. and it may well be that on that day, not only did Jesus learn from them, but they learned from Jesus. For Israel, there was a great second time of motion. We've been talking about that transition from Deuteronomy to Joshua as they moved from being a nomadic people into being a settled people in the land of Israel. But there's a second great motion that goes on. And it was a a moment in reality that expanded the idea of life together that we talked about yesterday by adding a renewed way in which they constantly learn together. I'm going to take you on a quick tour. You can be the one who decides whether it's quick enough or not, but I'm going to take you on a quick tour. We're going from opening pages to some of the last pages of the Bible very quickly. It begins in Exodus chapter 24, and here we have Moses who's been on Sinai. This is actually not the first trip up Sinai, but the second, when he gets the second copy. And he comes down, and when he's done, the text says, Then he took the book of the covenant. And this would be the idea of all the things that God had said. It might well even include what he's already begun to gather from what we would call the book of Genesis. Because knowing the covenant was also knowing who you were in relationship with. And to know God. You needed to know the creation story. And you needed to know the flood story. And the Abraham story. And all of that that we came from. But he wrote the, took the book of the covenant. And read it in the hearing of the people. In Deuteronomy chapter 31. Again just the last words. That Moses will write. He points them to the idea. That he commands them. Every seventh year. You shall read this law. And again. Not that you'll sit at home and read it privately. That you will read it before all Israel in their hearing. It's the public reading of scripture. The idea that we open up a scroll at that time and we read what at that point Moses would have recorded about what God, who God was and what God had done with them and what he had called them to do and be. With those kind of instructions and that kind of model, you would think this occurs over and over and over and over again throughout Scripture. That would have been a better way for the story to unfold, but that's not the way the story unfolds. Joshua, the faithful leader, will follow Moses' instructions, and they get into the land, and they come to Mount Ebal and Mark Gerizan, and they put up a rock, and they write all the commands on it. But then it says "And Joshua, by the way, I find it interesting it is the leader who reads. He doesn't hire somebody. He gets up and does this reading. Joshua then read every word of every command that Moses had ever given in the, to the entire assembly of Israel. Note all the inclusive language here. By now, I believe we have to be talking about what Moses would have written in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, And then also, possibly, even some of what Joshua's story is. They read all that there was there to the entire assembly. And by the way, if you had any question about it, including the women and the children, and even foreigners who were living among them, because the word of God was so important. So again, we would expect this to happen at least every seven years. We would think that this would be the kind of momentous occasion that would happen regularly. But the Bible is silent on the idea of the public reading of the law of God. Not just during the time of the judges. Samuel is never recorded as having read the law to all the people. David doesn't. Solomon doesn't. The kings until the kingdom is divided, and none of those kings do it until one day. And it's recorded in 2 Kings chapter 23, during the reign of Josiah. It's also paralleled exactly in 2 Chronicles 34. A little boy king, and they're cleaning up the temple, and they find a scroll. What is this? How many of you have ever cleaned up? after a loved one has died, grandparents finally passed on and we've got to clean up the house. And and my experience in my family is that you find Bibles everywhere. Imagine being in a time when God's people had lost the Word of God. They even have to go find someone who can read it in the language that it's written in. They have lost the Word of God so much. But then, having found it, the king summoned all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem and all the people, notice the language, from the least to the greatest, and there the king read to them a sentence here and a sentence there. Have you ever noticed Alan does this all the time? We're going to read a, nearly a chapter, but, but there's these little words, they're excerpts, right? They read it all, the entire book of the covenant. But in reality, that's not enough. That revival moment soon passed and within a generation they are the same people that Josiah brought to a a renewal of their faith are then exiled. God sends them away to Babylon. He says, my name cannot be known by who you are any longer. I'm going to have to send you away. But I will bring you back. And when he brings them back, some things change dramatically. We find in Nehemiah chapter 7, starting right at the end of 7 and going into 8, and this is highly exerted. When the seventh month came and the people gathered together, they told the scribe Ezra to bring out the book of the law of Moses. By the way, it's quite important to recognize that Josiah it had been lost, and it is Josiah and that revival time that they find it again. It will never be lost again. The entire city of Jerusalem is completely destroyed and yet somehow somebody gets the law all the way to Babylon and brings it all the way back with them. It will go with them everywhere they go and anywhere that God's people would spread from that point forward, there would be a copy of God's law with them. To bring out the book of the law, he read from it, are you ready for this? And you think you're going to be late to lunch today? He read from morning until midday. By the way, if you read the whole in its context, the people stood for all of the reading from morning till midday, as the word of God was that in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand, and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. What's amazing is, is we have had to go through so many chapters just to find these, these few occurrences where they stand up and read the word publicly. In Nehemiah chapter 8, there appear to be three different times within what might be a week or as much as a month where they will gather and stand together and read what they will call the entire word of the Lord. Amen? And unfortunately, the people have lost it so much That it then, and it's not unfortunate. It's unfortunate that they don't understand, but you need to understand, but you need to know that it is at this point that they start saying they don't just read the words of God. The teachers go out into small groups and they interact so that they understand what it says. Now, some of that may well be that they couldn't understand the language that it was written in, but the other part was you need to know who this is about and who's behind it. It is at that moment that things change for Israel forever. They will never be without the reading of Scripture. They will never be without the Word of God being among them. They called them synagogues and historically we point to the exile as when they started but here's the wisdom that they brought home with them. They didn't say we're coming home we don't need them anymore But they kept them in every village, in every town, where ten or more Jewish families would be. And by the way, not just in the Holy Land, not just in Israel, but anywhere they went, if ten families were together, they established a synagogue. And in the synagogue, what did they do? The New Testament will tell us what they do. In Acts chapter 13, Paul just makes a a cursory remark in one of his sermons that they missed who Jesus was even though... The words of the prophets are read every single Sabbath. They're never going to go a week without hearing the word of God. Jesus will go in the synagogue, and on the Sabbath day, he stands up to read. And they're ready for him. And they hand him the scroll of Isaiah, and he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. That practice of the synagogue reading the word together, that practice that Jesus participates in is a practice that continues to this very day. Amen? And by the way, not just in synagogues, but in the churchagogues, right? That's what we are. We're a churchagog. The church got its first formation, basically figuring out, adapting what the synagogue did and adding Jesus to it. And that has persisted for 2,000 years. That when God's people gather, God's word is going to be read. And you and I have inherited that blessing of learning together. You see, it could just be the idea of, oh, no, no, I'm going to show up at church on Sunday and I'm going to let somebody read it to me. But in reality, that's never the goal, is it? The goal is that, Even the word that I'm proclaiming while you sit there so attentively and so still and so quiet, it's amazing. You do all that and yet the hope is is that something that I say, or more importantly something that the Spirit speaks to you through my message or beyond my message, comes to you and you want to talk to somebody next to you. You want to say, hey, did he say that? Did God really mean? What do we need to do with that? That we are in conversation, and not just conversation about the weather. Or, from this Sunday all the way through February, conversations about football. I already run into one of those today. I already participated in one of those today. But see, it needs to be more than that. It needs to be the idea that when the Word of God is proclaimed... The word of God becomes something that we want to discuss and interact with. We want to follow in Jesus' footprints. We want to ask questions. We want to listen. And we want to be heard as we participate in that learning process together. It is essential. As families continue to move forward into an incredibly uncertain future, that the idea that the Word of God will not simply be a book on the shelf, nor will the Word of God simply be that, oh, get your, get your clothes on. We've got to be there at, by the way, need to be there at 9.30 for Bible class, right? Isn't that what we all said this morning? Somebody say yes, okay. And, then, and we're going to sit and listen. But instead, the Word of God, as we move forward, have to become, and yes, Your time in Bible class and your time in this worship, your time engaged in all of those kinds of things, and we're going to point to one specifically, I think you're anticipating in just a minute, should create not simply a place where I say, I've done my learning, but they become inspiration for the way we're going to live. When the towers fell, it created conversations about God and about evil. When your family's life moves forward and struggles occur, you're going to have conversations that are going to be informed by the Word of God, but they need to be inside your conversations with each other. Learning it together. Three quick points. We're going to learn together for life in motion. First of all, we can't learn together ...if we're not reading on our own. Somebody say amen. It is very difficult to be a person who can ask good questions. Remember what Jesus did? He asked good questions. It's very hard to be a person who asks good questions... ...if the only time we pick up the text... ...is when we gather together. We've got to be people who spend time in the Word on our own. But that is simply preparation preparation what I would affirm and what I would say is for the greater need of bringing the word together and so I have to ask the question is point number two where is your reading individually supplemented and here's a word submitted to learning together one of the most dangerous things is for me to pick up the word of God and to walk away in isolation and to decide Here's a new way that I think we need to understand Scripture and to start proclaiming that. What always needs to happen is I read and I hear something new and I immediately want to go to God's people and say, I'm hearing something like this and history will inform me and other people's experience will inform me. And the way the spirit is moving in your life and his wisdom is revealing revealed to you you needs to hone what God is producing in me before anything new should ever be proclaimed. Somebody say, but is that what you do? Is that what we together do with the word of God? Do we participate together? Do we find places, and again I'm asking you where, where are you in that conversation? Yes, you need to be reading the word of God on your own. Yes, that needs to be a daily pattern in your life. But the other pattern, it is incomplete without the pattern coming full circle back to the people of God. Back to other faithful Christians and say, not that, by the way, they have all the right answers. It may well be that what you have hones them. But every single time I can count that what I've learned can hone someone else, I have been ten times over been honed by other people. Amen? Where is your experience of that? Finally, and I mentioned it a couple of times already, we are so quick to point out, Oh, Jesus did this loving, kind thing. Jesus did this healing thing. Jesus did this beneficial thing for people. His actions of loving others are astounding. Amen? But I think we also have the powerful witness that Jesus knew God's Word and wanted to interact with others about what God was saying. Are we going to be those people who, like Jesus are listening to what God says in community and asking questions so that it can become more a part of who we are deeper and deeper into our lives so that we are prepared to be people and families in the motion of life as it continues to move forward. There is one very specific application to this sermon today. We have these wonderful places called life groups. We have wonderful Bible classes. And by the way, particularly if you have children, there are very few more important things on your schedule for the faith life of your family than having them in the conversation together with other faithful Christians in Bible class. We have them on Sunday morning. And by the way, we have them on Wednesday night. And great things go on all the time for your kids in those places. We have great adult Bible classes that go on. But we also have this thing... That is intended, more than anything else, to move us from a place of the proclamation of the word to the listening and asking and honing each other in the word of God. And those are called life groups. We restart them every fall. Today is a day that there are sign-up sheets on a round table in the middle of the foyer that you can look at the group of leaders and say, that's when I'd like to go. The other thing you can look for is when they're meeting. Most of them meet on Sunday night. If you would like to join Sharon and myself and Ron White, lead a group on Thursday nights, you're welcome to do that. If there's a night that you want to have one, you need to talk to Jerry because he will work very hard. Jerry and Mark Davis will work very hard to start one on a time when you feel like this is when I would like to be in a listening, asking, hearing, and learning together scenario. I encourage you. Do you have to be in a life group to be a Christian? The answer is no. Do you need to be in a group of people who are discussing the word of God where you have the opportunity not just to hear it but to ask a question and say, how does this fit into my life? And I would say you'll be less complete of what God wants you to be without those kind of places And those kind of relationships. God invitation one more time continues to be. Do you love me? And I think there's a powerful way. In which loving God transitions into. I want to know what he says. And I want the conversation of my life. To be about knowing more about this God that I love. Amen. He says love me. I am your God he invites us to that he says will you he says won't you i believe he says please won't you come to know me and love me If there's any way that you would like to respond to that in a public way you're welcome to come during the song we're going to stand and sing if you're online with us the text number there can you can send a text any message we will pick that up and be able to start that conversation but really I hope that before you leave today, you have a conversation with somebody, maybe somebody in your family, maybe somebody that's just a friend that you've run into here today, and you say something like, where is the interaction, the learning together going on in my life? Who are you going to talk to about that? How are you going to make sure that that's part?" of who you are and what God is doing in your life. But now, won't you come as we stand and sing?